Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, Genesis. Today's scripture passage is from Psalm 80, verses 7 through 15. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls, so that all who pass along the way may pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, and look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to be with you on our last Sunday of pre-recorded worship. So we're just going to dive right into our text this morning. And you might have noticed, oh, look. We're in the Psalms again. We're never in the Psalms. (laughs) So last week, Steve preached on the Psalms and he talked about how we can lift our soul up to God using maybe a couple or maybe no words at all. And I don't know about you, but that practice that he invited us into of sitting in silence or in centering prayer for 10 minutes has been really healing for me this week, given the way that the world is right now. (laughs) Um, So when I looked through the text this week and I saw Psalm 80, I was like, well, hey, why not hit up the Psalms two weeks in a row? Because what I love about this collection of ancient songs and poetry is that one week you can be talking about lifting up your soul to God using hardly any words at all. And then the very next week, this week, You can talk about lifting up the wide gambit of your emotional experience to God using as many profanities and as colorful of a language as you want. (laughs) This is going to be a fun one. So are you guys ready? I wanted to start off with some of my initial thoughts as I read this psalm. Because there's kind of a lot going on here and there was about a hundred different ways I could have taken the sermon. Because, I mean, for starters, it flows pretty seamlessly with the Isaiah text this morning, which is why I wanted to do these two passages together. Because Isaiah 5 recounts the fall of Israel and the impending fall of Jerusalem through a metaphor. Right? And a metaphor is when you use something like an image or an object to talk about something else, right? 
And so in Isaiah 5, it uses a metaphor to tell the story of this beloved God who has a vineyard on a very fertile hill and the beloved tenderly sows the soil and builds a watchtower to protect this vineyard. But what does the vineyard do? It doesn't yield grapes like this beloved God was expecting it to. Instead, it yielded bitter, wild grapes. And so the, the, uh, the metaphor is used to kind of explore this intimate relationship between the gardener and the vine and the unexpected fruit that came out of God's people. Because when God expected a vineyard of justice, God saw bloodshed. And when God expected the fruits of righteousness, all God heard was a cry. And so the lectionary pairs Isaiah 5 with this 80th Psalm because the Psalm continues this gardener and vine metaphor, this prophetic poetry. Only this time, the Psalm is told from the Israelite perspective instead of the Isaiah text is told from God's perspective. Now I wanna pause for a moment before we go any further and talk about the nature of metaphor and the nature of poetry because we're in the Psalms and Psalms are songs and poems. They're not doctrinal creeds or narrations. They are bodies of art that invite the readers and the hearers into this imaginative and sensual world where we can experience God in an entirely different way. So you see, when we use metaphor to talk about God, not only does it invite us to slow down, peruse, and take our time exploring this sensory-filled, imaginative experience with the divine, but it also invites us to talk about the heavy things, the heavy thoughts, fears, and emotions that we carry with us in a way that promotes vulnerability and curiosity and intimacy with God. So Isaiah and the psalmist both use this metaphor of God as the vine dresser or the gardener and Israel, God's people, as the vine. In our psalm text this morning, which is actually only an excerpt of the broader Psalm 80, ours can be broken down into three distinct parts. You can see this in your um, lectionary or in your liturgy, sorry. <laughs> um, so you see the first chunk is sort of this first petition where the psalmist cries out, restore us, O God of hosts. And then you can see the second section is where we have this metaphor. This is the bulk of our text this morning. We have a metaphor of God in Israel as the gardener and the vine. And then the, the, the third and the last chunk is the second petition of the psalmist to turn again, O God of hosts. And so I want to take a moment and slow down with this metaphor and explore the world these words have built before we dive any deeper into the theological reflection and practical application, blah, blah, all that fun stuff. Sound good? 
Now, I want to read verses 8 through 13 again. This is that second chunk, that metaphor of God and Israel. And I want us to close our eyes and try our best to imagine the world this psalmist is crafting. And as we walk through this story together, we're going to collect the verbs that we see and hear along the way. Are you ready? You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and it shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed from it. Hmm. What a metaphor. <laughs> so that leads us into our first all play. As you listened and as you read through these verses 8 through 13, what verbs resonated with your soul? You can either recall what you heard or go back through and read it again, but which verbs, which action words sparked something within you or caused you to pause and wonder? Since this is the last Sunday of pre-recorded worship, this is the last Sunday I get to do the awkward pre-recorded thing of I can't wait to see what you all come up with at the end of an all play. <laughs> um, so I went ahead and I just compiled the verbs into a list. And I'm sure we probably did hit many of these in the chat. And I broke them down into three sections because poetry is all about structure. Am I right? And you'll find that these 12 lines of prose in verses 8 through 13 break down pretty nicely into three groups of four each capturing a different phase of the life of this vine. So the first is the season of the vine's planting. This is the history of Israel, from the exodus out of Egypt, through the stories of Joshua, Judges, and the inhabitation of the promised land. And so notice the verbs that the psalmist uses. Brought, drove, planted, cleared, took deep root and filled. This is all the beginning of planting a garden. And the second is the season of the vines growing and thriving in the soil. This is the history of Israel's monarchy, the established nationhood, and Israel's active participation in the politics and the economy of the world. Right, to Israel, these were the good old days. And so notice how the psalmist talks about this. The land is covered with shade and the branches and the roots are sent out in all directions. We see now that Israel is intertwined with the nations of the world. And as we know from the prophets, that's what ultimately gets them in trouble, huh? Because that then leads us into our third section, 
where the tone shifts dramatically because it's now talking about the season of the vine's destruction. And this is the consequence of bloodshed and injustice done by Israel in the name of Yahweh. This is the impending threat of the exile and the invasion of the Assyrian and Babylonian empires. And so notice the verbs that the psalmist uses. Broken down, pass, pluck, ravage, move, feed. The psalmist is devastated by this military defeat. And so the psalmist calls upon the God of hosts, the God of armies, right? Elohim Tsevaot, to turn, to restore, and to do something about it. And that's pretty audacious, right? Like it's Israel's own fault they got into this mess in the first place. I mean, you read through any prophetic book and you'll find a whole list of grievances against Israel for acting in the entirely opposite way that God wanted her people to act, right? Yet here, the psalmist dares to put it back on God. Restore us, O God of armies, O God of hosts. Why have you broken down the walls? Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down at us from heaven and have regard for this vine. And I love this boldness because it's a very human thing to do. And it's also a very human in a covenant relationship with Yahweh thing to do. Because see, now we're going to turn this gem of Psalm 80 ever so slightly to talk about these two words, these two dimensions of covenant and lament. Because as we read Psalms like these, when the psalmists demand for God to act in a certain way, we could initially respond with gasps, like, how dare they talk to God like that? Or we could read these Psalms with one ear to the heartbeat behind these petitions. We could listen to the wails of lament of God's people in anguish. And we could listen to the pleas of remembrance for God's covenant, God's promise with her people. And that dramatically changes the way that we read things. And that dramatically changes the way that we can talk to God in our own lives. So let's dive into or really just skim the surface here of these two words, covenant and lament, starting with covenant. So covenant is a word that many of us have probably heard before, right? So let's do another all play. In no more than five words, how would you describe this word, this thing, this idea of covenant? Now, in all seriousness, I really am excited to see what you all come up with because this word covenant is so complex and multidimensional. I mean, you have the thing, the noun of covenant, like we have covenants of marriage and of friendship. God made covenants with Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, etc. 
When we have Jesus, he established a new covenant. And, and then in the history of Israel, Israel made covenants with all the other nations in the world. And, but then you have, you have the evocations of this word covenant, the stirrings, the feelings, the associations that surround this word, like promise, faithfulness, intentionality, love, loyalty, chesed, mercy, relationship, intimacy, responsiveness, responsibility, and presence. The list could go on and on. So what does it mean that the creator of the universe repeated to Israel and to Israel's ancestors time and time again that I will be your God and you will be my people? And what does it mean that as Jesus took the cup at the Last Supper and he held it saying that this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which was shed for many for the forgiveness of sins? And what does it mean that maybe someday Jesus will sit on the throne and declare that the home of God is among humans and that God will dwell with us once again and once and for all and we will be God's people and God will be our God in all the fullness of glory. I think it means a lot of things because this is all good news. And one of those things that I think that it means is that it clears the way, it makes room for lament. You see, lament draws upon this radical idea of God covenanting with humans in relationship. And that the nature of this covenantal relationship, both in God's covenant with Israel and in God's new covenant established by Jesus, is that both parties, God and humanity, have the freedom and the responsibility to speak up and have these difficult conversations. Just like in a marriage, and just like in a friendship. And I think we often think of our relationships with God as like a one-way street, right? Like only God can speak to us. And then we just have to silently submit to whatever God says. But that's not it at all. I mean, look at these stories in scripture. And there are countless characters who regularly mouthed off to God. Right? Our psalmist is one of them. <laughs> and God doesn't shut it down. God listens and God responds. So here's our last all play this morning. I just thought it could maybe be fun if we brainstormed a list together um, of some of the stories and some of the characters in scripture um, of when people talked back to God or spoke up against God, maybe. So what are some of those stories or those characters that come to your mind? I think one of my favorite examples of this sort of back and forth um, dialogue with God is in the calling of the prophet Jeremiah. Because God comes to Jeremiah when he's only a young boy. And God's like, hey, Jeremiah, even before you were even born, I knew that you were going to be a prophet to the nations. And then the little boy Jeremiah's like, 
ah, what? No way, God, I can't do that. I'm just a little boy. And God's like, it's okay, Jeremiah, you've got this. I'm going to be with you the whole time. It's going to be dynamite. And I just love this sort of back and forth and how Jeremiah even felt the freedom to be like, uh, what? Sorry, no, God. <laughs> and then God reassuring Jeremiah, like, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be with you. And I love how freely that dialogue goes back and forth. And while this isn't, this Jeremiah example really isn't an example of lament in itself, it still captures this idea that's behind lament, right? And you see that lament is rooted in this freedom to speak with God honestly and to know that your thoughts and your words and your emotions will be taken seriously by God. So that's really all it is. Lament is an integral part of our faith and our relationship with God, both as a community and as individuals, because it allows us to be raw and vulnerable and to invite God into the darkest and heaviest places in our soul. We can swear, weep, and we can thrash in the presence of God. We can beat God's breast as she holds us close, and we can collapse under the weight of grief in God's loving arms. We don't have to hold back with God. We don't have to be polite or filter our speech. We don't have to tone down our feelings. Because God is big enough for every emotion, for every fear, and every insult that we might hurl at her. You see, in Israel's understanding of this covenant relationship, God didn't have any of these protected sensitivities. God was expected to receive and to respond to the fullness of Israel's uncensored speech. Every plea, every complaint, and every praise. And I think we've maybe lost a lot of this courageous confidence in our modern understanding of this dynamic relationship with God. And especially in a world that looks like this. <laughs> if we cannot word vomit every uncensored, genuine, emotional thought that we have, then we'll collapse under the unbearable burden only a divine and loving God can carry for us. Humans were not married made <laughs> humans were not made to carry the great weight of the physical and emotional human experience and that is why we need lament. That is why we need a God to whom we can cry out, restore us. Turn back to us. Look down from heaven and have regard for this state that we're in. <laughs> Um, for the very, for in the very depths of lament and of despair is the presence of a loving God. And in the presence of a loving God is the presence of a loving hope. 
and a loving God with us-ness. So as we wrap up this morning, I want us to try something. I want you to grab a piece of paper and something to write with, and I'm gonna give us a bonus 60 seconds of silence. And in those 60 seconds of silence, I want you to write your honest words, your honest feelings, and your honest state of mind to God. You can use as many four-letter words as you want. And then sometime later today or tomorrow, I want you to find a way to let go of this paper and release it to God. You can throw it into a fire. You can recycle it at the park. You can turn it into a paper mache bowl. You can shred it and use it as stuffing in your rabbit's cage. <laughs> it's totally up to you, just as long as you don't litter. And just as long as it's a meaningful expression of releasing these big and heavy things to God. So are you ready for our 60 seconds of silence? Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.